Welcome to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches and a production of the 224 Ecospace, where changemakers work, create, and lead. Today we are fortunate to have with us Iran Nazario, who serves as the leader of the Peace Center. And the Peace Center is a central hub for individuals and organizations sharing the goal of a more peaceful Connecticut. Welcome. Oh, thank you for having me. Glad to have you here. So why don't you start out by telling us where were you born and raised? Born and raised in this beautiful city of Hartford, Connecticut. Absolutely. Okay. Um, was born in St. Francis Hospital. Um, my mom at the time was living in Sands uh, uh, Everywhere Housing Complex, which is what we called it back then, and uh, spent a number of years there as a child, uh, moved on to um, Asylum Avenue, Willard Street, um, and you know Farmington Avenue area, uh, and then I moved over to uh, Lenox Street in the North End, uh, and so on and so forth, kind of kept moving throughout the city, So, uh, but that was kind of like my beginnings. You so know. shout out to your schools. What were your elementary schools and high school? Shout out to Sands. Um, shout out to Cork Middle School and shout out to Hartford Public High School. Definitely. And when you were coming up, who were some of the teachers that stood out in your mind? Well, right now is uh, Miss Anna Consoli uh, and Miss Piscor. Uh, those are the two uh, fondest uh, memories that, that I've had that I have as far as teachers are concerned in their effort to help me uh, as a young man in Hartford, definitely. And going back in time, talk a bit about what Hartford was like at the time when you were coming up through middle school and into high school. What was the atmosphere like here in the city? Well, I think the atmosphere, based on my recollection, I, it, it was, I was a young man who didn't know English. So uh, my, my experience was a little bit different than if I was associating with guys you know, that, that were more English speaking. So I hung out a lot, around a lot of Spanish speaking folk. So for me, it was really um, kind of a hip hop era. It was the Smurfs era it was kind of like the uh garanimal shirts t-shirts and you know uh, adidas with the, the suede adidas kind of thing uh everyone had the oldsmobile uh cutlass oldsmobile cars with the raider um logo on it or the patriots logo on it um but it was for me um being the situation that i was in uh as a as abused child it was very very different so i didn't really get to to hang out in that culture, I kind of was isolated to my situation at the time. But um, that's what it, I remember fondly being, hip hop, Run DMC kind of era, you know, with that kind of thing. You say abused child, what do you mean by that? Well, my mom um, was abused by my dad. Um, she was um, very mentally and physically abused by him. So when she was pregnant with me, the reason I was born here was because he, uh, he had beat her up pretty bad. Uh, one evening and um, she had to have emergency uh, childbirth. So she left him and running from him to Hartford and I ended up uh, being born here at St. Francis. Uh, my mom unfortunately um, succumbed to drugs and, uh, and alcohol due to her injuries and all that stuff and all the medications she had taken. So she started hustling the streets and kind of being out there uh, and then uh, taking out some of her frustrations on me physically uh, and eventually uh, DCF or DCYS as it was called back then uh, came in to remove us um, because of the child abuse. So again, my, my lens was very different on what was happening because I was kind of involved in this abuse relationship uh, than my mom. Uh, and what was it like for you to be in the DCYS system? The best I can remember, 
because it was, you know, it was a brief kind of memory for me. Um, I blocked it out for many years. Um, I remember being taken from my home uh, along with my, my oldest brother and uh, sent to New Jersey to a foster home. And um, I can remember the calming of a house without chaos. I can remember that. But I can remember not, I can't even remember what the folks looked like. Um, because there was no connection, human connection at that point. I was more connected to my brother. Um, so for me, um, I just really remember being disconnected from my family, what I knew was my kind of fabric, right? And, and being kind of sent to this place. Uh, then after that, I just don't really, I don't remember being protected well um, because they did give me back to my dad um, who uh, proceeded to abuse us as well. Um, and um, it just felt like, you know, after I kind of understood what a parent's supposed to do, I can kind of go back and say I wasn't really well protected, even though it did remove me, I was placed in another uh, bad situation. And so the question would be, how did you persevere through that time period? Well, I, I think I would have to say um, there was another power working in my behalf. Obviously, I think, you know, um, there definitely was, was a higher purpose, a higher energy, um, dealing with placing the angels in the right place for me. And then I would also have to say my brother. Uh, my brother, my, he was one year older than me, but he absorbed a lot of the blows that uh, were meant for me from my dad. Uh, and he was kind of like calm, a calming force for me. He'd be like, we're going to be all right. We're going to be all right. And, uh, and I think that was some of it. And um, I think within me, um, knowing myself now, I was blessed uh, with the uh, the ability to look at the uh, the bright side of things. Um, I always kind of felt, even even as a kid, I felt I was going to do something. <laughs> I was going to do some something was going to come out. I was either going to dance my way out of it or sing my way out of it. Something was going to happen. But I would say those two things, obviously, um, in the angels in my life and uh, the higher power, and then my brother. And that's a powerful tribute to think about how you were able to persevere and that there was something, another force that was helping you get through. Mm -hmm. So you had the experience of living life sort of in the hustle and street life before you came to be the activist that you are today. Mm -hmm. So what was it like for you to persevere through that life? You know what? And ultimately get out. Well, you know, it was uh, something I had yearned for um, as a kid. I yearned for a bond with something. Uh, and as I was saying earlier that um, I felt I was going to do something and I was looking for leadership. I was looking for guidance. I was looking for family. Um, so initially, uh, it was incredible for me because I felt like I had found some stability. And I know that even though the, the, the message was the way it was and the mission of the, uh, the gang was the way it was in the hustle and the street life, I found a sense of belonging there. So it kind of stabilized me for a while. Uh, it, kind of, it kind of got me closer to people that I knew uh, were friends of mine um, you know, on the streets. So for me, it was, it was a calming situation. Um, eventually, um, you know, I started to realize that I wanted to do something different and that the hurting that we were doing to ourselves was no different than what my mom or dad had done to me. Um, and I wanted to figure out how can I best um, do something from within this organization, from within, from within this street to change our outcome, to make us successful, to care for one another. And I just thought that maybe because, and I think this is true for me, I think the abuse that I sustained allowed me to develop compassion for people who were searching for help. 
Uh, so I think, you know, I started to work in my head with that. I started to really plan out what can I do, looking for any opportunity. Like I said, even as a teenager and into my middle, uh, my uh, middle twenties, I was looking for ways to survive. I didn't want to sell drugs because my mom was an addict and I didn't feel like I wanted to contribute to the suffering of someone else's mom. Like I saw my mom struggle. Uh, so I refused to do that, but I did everything else, you know, and, uh, and then I finally found, um, someone to, Believe in me, brother Carl Hardrick, who um, was working with the gangs from way back then. Um, he saw something in me. I saw something in him, and we believed in one another. I started volunteering on the streets with Carl. Um, got beat up a few times for doing so. And um, and then I just felt, you know what, I, I found something. And uh, then Professor Michael Borrero stepped in uh, and gave me an opportunity at UConn School of Social Work to speak to a group of undergrad students about my life. and. I started finding my voice and then I said, wait a minute, I can, I can actually do something with this. I can change lives. I can be part of the solution. And that's kind of like how I persevered. I, again, I think angels were placed in my presence a number of times uh, throughout my journey or else I wouldn't be here. And so you had the opportunity to work with Carl Hodrick and others to get you involved in human services. Talk a little bit about your entry into that. Yeah, well, it was interesting because I was doing it and I was still immersed in the gang lifestyle. So I would go to meetings for uh, improving the public and connecting people to jobs and all that. And I would have my gang colors on because you couldn't take them off. So, um, so I would flag my colors. I'd walk in and, and it was very different transitioning into that because some, the same system that I was hoping to change and, and bring to support our family was um, also against what I stood for, which was the gang. They figured, you know, we, we were bitter enemies. So you had a city looking for a solution to violence and you had a guy involved in a gang that was violent looking for a solution to help the gang. So it was really uh, uh, an interesting entry into that because I had so, mu so many um, people that weren't sure where I was coming from and couldn't believe that I was um, going to be uh, a person who was actually committed because I was still in the gang. So it was tough. Uh, you know, I had to, I had to prove myself for years and I had to uh, battle the misconceptions and the, you know, the, all of the naysayers because they believed that, you know what, this kid has something up his sleeve. He must be doing it to advance the gang and, you know, and, and continue to perpetrate their violence. And so I worked through it. I continued to uh, persevere and believe that uh, eventually they would believe in me for something different. We're talking with Adrian Nazario, who is the leader of the Peace Center, and we'll be back after the break.
tonight like never before. Thank you, Jesus. How many really want it tonight like never?
Somebody just bless him like you wanted, like never before. Come on, praise him like you wanted, like never before. Somebody let out like a like, let out a like never before praise. Come on. Connor having trouble focusing in school. Having trouble finding Connor's middle school? Would you like directions? No, why is Connor having trouble focusing in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm, I'm tired of fighting with him over homework. 
Home walk restaurant. Need a review? No, I need help. He's very smart, but his mind wanders. He's disorganized. I think I understand. Oh, good. French fries. Finding best potatoes. No! Russet. Fingerling. You can't go. Why don't you understand me? Sorry, I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Frustrating, isn't it? Redirecting to understood.org. For the one in five kids with learning and attention issues, this is what life can feel like. ExploreUnderstood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues designed to help your child thrive in school and in life. Understood.org, because understanding is everything. Welcome back. We're talking with Adrian Nazario, who serves as the leader of the Peace Center, and the Peace Center is vision to be a central hub for individuals and organizations sharing the goal of a more peaceful Connecticut. So in our first segment, we were talking a bit about your formation as a young person in Hartford, and then shifting towards your term turning point and how you started to be a peace activist. So talk about your work in this community as a peace builder. Sure. Well, I, again, believe that the best thing that I can do and the best thing that the community could benefit from was having people in the community become the interrupters of uh, of the of the same kind of journey that I had. So I felt that if, if I could be at in the lives of young people before they start falling kind of apart, that I could start saving lives and that I could start having young people start believing in their abilities and, and the fact that they can do something more valuable, not only with their time, but with their purpose. So I started going out into these communities and really communicating the message to young people. I'm here for you. You don't have to do that. You can step back, reflect, you can let things go and you'll be much better for it. So through that time, I just started looking at ways that I could pull from people that were my mentors and pull from resources that I knew existed to become more familiarized with how systems work, how structures work, and then figure out a way to communicate those same messages to young people at a much earlier age than I received it. So because of that, um, I just started to advocate and started to become fiercely involved in making sure that I saved as many lives as possible. And that meant sacrificing sleep, sacrificing family time, sacrificing, you know, uh, your own fun, sacrificing work, all, all of that stuff to be out there and, and really figuring out who I needed to connect with in the community that could continue to lead me and who can I learn from and teach uh, at the same time to develop my community into a better community. And that's what I did. So you spent a significant amount of time really laying a foundation here in Hartford towards this thing called peace. Mm -hmm. And so along the way, you started to get a vision for something else that you wanted to create. How did it start to bubble up, this idea of the Peace Center? Well, um, I I love what people do in the city. And and, uh, every time that I see the yearly report that says, well, Hartford is now the murder capital of New England. Hartford is this and a half Hartford. And as somebody that lived here, it stings you. So I started I started wondering how can we start changing the narrative and the dialogue and the perceptions of people not only in our own community but outside of this community. And uh, as many uh, great people as uh, as we see here doing great things in different programs, I was part of seven different committees or eight, and I would leave the committee meetings and I would love what they were talking about and all of that stuff. But I still felt like there wasn't a physical structure uh, in the city of Hartford that's focused only on peace. Period. That's it. Because I know that we have religious uh, institutions and we have art institutions and now we have a yard goat baseball stadium and we have a number of other things. Uh, But one of the things that I think uh, I started thinking about is how can I 
uh, establish a physical space in the city where all peacemakers of every every faith, every religion, every walk of life, every journey can be together all the time so we can cross paths more often. Not just at a community meeting, but you have a physical space where anybody can visit it at any time, um, not only uh, continue to develop their peace efforts and be more productive and effective but be around the same people that are talking the same language so you see and hear each other more often uh hartford for me uh, in my opinion has always been really um fragmented in in the way that we approach things and being a young man from here who lived in every community this city has uh, i feel that it is important for our young people to not only hear about god and religion to hear about uh, corporate work and, 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 and that kind of thing, about education and, and entertainment, but to also hear about peace on the regular basis. Uh, to have a, a space that they can go to and learn about our local heroes all of the time. To learn about steps and ways that they can adapt to being more peaceful and more forgiving and more compassionate. Uh, and it'd be cool that they learn that there is an uh, actual career in peace work. I'm a perfect example. Mm -hmm. 27 years of peace work. I made a living, helped my kids go to college and all that other stuff. And many kids don't see the value of peace and the value of being able to prevent violence as a career. So I want to be able to do that. And that's where that came from. Um, I actually looked to the sky for a symbol. Something that would show that Hartford had hope, right? And beyond religion, I couldn't find that symbol that could glow in the sky. So I started thinking about what's our bat signal? What can we do to, mm. to deploy a symbol that the entire state can look up to the sky and say, Hartford has peace and Hartford has amazing things. And uh, I want to be an advocate for Hartford. So that's how this came about. So what have you learned from your work in peace? What is peace work? Well, peace work, uh, first of all and foremost, is really looking deeply into yourself is really uh, being able to project what you desire uh, onto others. Being able to uh, role model and be that change that you wanna see in other people. It's hard work, it's constant messages, it's constantly standing for your purpose. Um, so peace work is really a deeply kind of um, insight into who you are and then start kind of communicating that dialogue and that message out to others, interrupting where you can, lending an ear to when you can, being a great listener, and collaboration is so key to peace. Working with other people, um, knowing your lane and giving other people the platform when they should have it because they're better skilled and better equipped to do the other job. Knowing that you have to impact young people and that you have to open lanes for young people to take over your job in the future because they are the future so it's investment in the community and the young people that live there and also being able to accept everyone and uh, you can be cordial respectful compassionate and kind um, but be open to other people i think that's a piece that's a piece is kind of to me and when you think about developing this hub of people that are engaged in peace work what kind of organizations are you considering as a part of a hub like this? Are there enough peace organizations in Connecticut that could actually come together? Yeah, well, I learned I learned through the Peace in Connecticut Coalition um, that I was a member of for three years that there are uh, plenty of peace organizations. Now, for me, it's really about lifting initially the, the local community organizations who are out there doing marches and rallies and, and painting walls and all, you know, all these different efforts that do impact the community. I know that not, not all of us are going to reach someone. It's going to, you have to be able to, to, to give that up. You have to be able to say, okay, 
Irene or, or Reverend, you know, you take on that child because that child listens to you a little bit more. Okay, Irene, now they're not listening to me, but they might listen to you. So for me, it's just the local grassroots community groups, uh, some of them who may be struggling to uh, keep their doors open, who may be struggling to find some type of uh, administrative capacity to sustain them long term. Uh, I'm looking to hopefully have those individuals in the building to strengthen their capacity to do the work because Idan Nasario can't do it by himself. The Peace Center of Connecticut can't do it by himself. It's a collective uh, team of people that can do that. So those are the type of groups that I'm hoping to bring in. So as you're pulling this together, who are some of the stakeholders that are supporting your efforts? Well, right now, um, I've you know I've got uh, the folks from the police department. I've got folks from other grass uh, 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 grassroots groups. Know thy neighbor. Uh, you know, for peace, for uh, for unity, uh, peace builders. Obviously, is doing that work. Hartford communities that care, who I work for uh, and uh, work with for for some time, uh, and other community groups who believe in this. I have um, the. Um, uh, Hartford Together Group, who's also a part of the a part of the journey, um, in the you know, DCF, who has now signed on to do some work with us as well. So, I mean, I think for for me, um, those are the, the the core people that I want to start working with um, in order to to make this happen. So, those are some of my stakeholders. I'm going again. This is just starting. I just um, started full time in this position July one, so it hasn't been a month yet. Uh, so, as I continue to build this network uh, and put things things together. Um, the stakeholders to start to come up. We're talking to Iron Nazario, who is the leader of the Peace Center, and we'll be back after the break. You have been listening to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches. Thanks for asking, but I'd rather not send you nude pictures. I'm camera shy. I already said no. It's against my religion. I'm giving my dog a bath. You can have pictures of that. Pressure gives me hives. Under my clothes, I'm a robot. Hold on, let me ask my mom. Sorry, my webcam is broken. I'm worried they'll get passed around school. Unfortunately, I just had my clothes surgically attached to my body. If they got out, I might never be president. I'm already naked, under my clothes. Not even if you were all three Jonas Brothers. I have a rash. I have nudophobia. I have lizard skin. The more you ask, the less I want to. You're not the boss of me. Nudity makes me vomit. I'm a vampire, so I don't show up in pictures anyways. Your badgering has really killed the mood. When someone is pressuring you to do something you don't want to, how many ways can you say no before they get the message? Let us know at that'snotcool.com. Brought to you by the Ad Council.
30,000 square feet. What would you do with that kind of possibility? Would you strategize your future? Or get lost in the past? Will you fill it with stories? Or use it to empty your mind? Would you explore your spirituality? Or focus on improving your community? Will you use it to work late? Or just work it? Could you create lasting impressions? Or a brief delicious one? Our vision for the 224 30,000 square feet of endless possibilities. Welcome back. We're talking with Ira Nazario, who is the leader of the Peace Center. And during the break, we were talking a little bit about your vision for the next phase of your work. So what do you have in mind? So uh, now I just launched the Peace Center of Connecticut. And, you know, my goal is really to figure out a way to not only become the central hub of peace efforts for the, for the city, but for the state. I believe that there are so many of us doing great work to promote peace and be about peace and, and, and uh, at least slow down or put an end to community violence. Uh, but there isn't, I believe, a physical space that is 24 hours a day, seven days a week focused on that. So that's my next endeavor. Uh, it's going to take the purchase of a building. It's going to take the uh, the building of networks and, and, and uh, users of that space. It's going to uh, build uh, connections. It's going to need uh, to build connections and establish uh, yourself as a, as a force against violence that we need to, uh, to be. So that's my next endeavor. I'm looking to hopefully... Uh, you know, be in an open space by next year, um, uh, 2018. Uh, so that's what I'm, I'm working on. Yeah. And so if people want to partner with you, how can they be involved? What are so, the opportunities? Okay, so uh, initially, uh, right now in the building, what we call our inaugural year, is really about being able to form uh, the deeper uh, collaborations and have the discussion to see how we fit well. Um, I want to be able to have uh, groups that are going to be able to advance each other's causes in, a, in, a, in an effective way. So currently, people will connect with me. We'd have a conversation about whether or not this is the right marriage, kind of, I would say, for, for collaboration. Um, and then moving forward, obviously, with the fund development and the fundraising that we need to do and events and activities to support one another uh, and be advocates for one another, those conversations are going to have to start happening now. Um, as uh, as we, we will have our first event and activity September 7th, which is the unveiling of our logo, uh, which we had a, uh, a statewide competition uh, some young people put together some really good designs. So uh, that's our first event. And after that, we'll have some speakers and presenters come to do a number of workshops and things of that nature uh, as we develop the core programming at uh, the Peace Center. And so basically, you are working as an organizer, having these one-on-one -on -one conversations. What are you looking for when you're having dialogue with other people in the community? What's the spark you're looking for? Well, what I'm looking for is for um, individuals to join the cause for peace. Um, to really be able to advance the the message and to bring others that are uh, committed to making sure that we do our very best to uh, decrease or end uh, as much violence as possible in these communities. So the spark that I'm looking for, somebody say, you know what, I will commit 
to uh, to advance in the cause of peace in a collaborative way uh, in the community. I will advance the messaging to schools. I will advance the messaging to our community, to our law enforcement officers, to our churches, etc. Um, that's the spark I'm looking for because, again, I believe that um, collectively we're just much stronger. And I know that you are looking to increase the number of people that would be investing in the work. So mm -hmm. what kind of need do you have when it comes to building out the Peace Center? Well, currently, uh, obviously, in, in the build-up phase, and you know this well from your work, um, you obviously have to uh, fund the core basics of, a, of an agency. Your insurance, your DNO insurance, your your marketing, your your branding, all of that, all those things have to take precedence in the beginning because you want to be able to market and promote what your product is. You also want to be able to provide some uh, basic service around peace communications and dialogues, and create curricula to inform school children and adults on what it is you want to do for peace education. Um, second, you obviously have to build out a space. So uh, the goal is to have an, uh, an operational open space similar to like a open space concept where people can kind of just sit in, uh, continue to research their, um, their peace work, uh, create best practices and learn about um, best practices. We want to be able to have uh, uh, a research uh, component to the Peace Center that will allow us to bring uh, these resources to nonprofit organizations applying for grants to be more successful. We want to have a legacy hall that will celebrate our local heroes uh, statewide and citywide uh, so young people can go to this space and learn about these people on a regular basis. Uh, and we all want to have office spaces that will allow for other um, smaller groups to operate effectively every day. Um, and obviously, um, we, we one of the dreams that we have is to have a peace garden and also to have a, a, a novelty kind of um, uh, cafe where, where people can come in and kind of just be in a peaceful space, uh, similar to what some other people do around quarterly, quarterly living, uh, mindfulness and things of that nature. So uh, if people can can know and understand that journey is going to take some major resources uh, to to get this off the ground, uh, to actually put us in, a, in a position where we can open some doors and start providing some services and making those connections. And so if somebody wants to be in touch with you and participate in this, how do they get in touch? Well, there are a number of ways that people can reach me. So first, I'll give you my personal cell phone because I believe that that's the best way to access me. So it's 860-922-3552. Uh, you can also email me, Peace Center of Connecticut, all spelled out at gmail.com um, and I'm on Facebook uh, Iron Nazario the uh, Peace uh, Center of Connecticut Inc on Facebook is also available to you but that would be the best way to reach me you can also visit the website um, www.peacecenterofct.org um, so just peacecenterofct.org and that would work and if somebody's listening and they're thinking you know I want to understand more about this peace work what would you say are some of the reading list items they might want to take a look at? What are your go-tos? Well, my go-tos are um, being able, first and foremost, uh, do what you can to change the messaging and become a vessel for communicating peace. Obviously, with all the negative messages we hear on a regular basis um, from different sources, we need a force to combat that messaging. So for me, I think it's really about coming together and promoting this piece on a regular basis, similar to what you're doing today in your show. Uh, I think this is a perfect uh, way and strategy to send the, the message of peace to other community people and to make people come together for that kind of thing. So initially, that's what I would say. Second, it's really about committing to it. 
right? So serving on a board uh, of a group that wants to uh, do peace work, right? Being a, an investor in, in, in uh, pro uh, products and services and activities that, that do peace work. Connecting with people in your community that you know might have a skill set, an asset, or something that can lend uh, some some assistance to a program like this. Those will be the kind of the top three things that I would I would lean on. Ira Nazario, we thank you for your service and your commitment to peace in Hartford and beyond. Well, thank you for being here, and I also commend you on your work. And uh, I've, I've been a fan of yours for many years, and uh, thank you for this opportunity. Bless you. Thank you. Sunlight hurts my eyes And something without warning love Bears heavy on my mind Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you And I know it's gonna be a lovely When the day that lies ahead of me Seems impossible to fail When someone else instead of me Always seems to know the way Then I look at you And the world's alright with me Just one look at you and I know it's gonna be a lovely And when someone else instead of me Always seems to know the way Then I look at you And the world's alright with me I just want to look at you And I know it's gonna be
have been listening to Rich Answers, a public affairs program of the Conference of Churches and a production of the 224 Ecospace. Reach out to us and tell us what you think. Look for Rich Answers, the Conference of Churches, and me, Reverend Dr. Shelley Bess, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like us, follow us, share us. 